This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. In the Milky Way alone, there are approximately 200 billion stars, around 20 billion of which are sun-like stars, complete with an Earth-like planet orbiting around them. Scientists estimate that there may be 11 billion planets orbiting sun-like stars just in our home galaxy. Now, if we apply those numbers to the whole universe, where our current estimates approximate about 200 billion or more galaxies, well, the point should be fairly clear. There are an astounding number of Earth-like planets in the universe. Countless planets billions of years older than our own that had the very same preconditions for life as Earth. Even if we give the most conservative estimate for life forming in these conditions, the conclusion is fairly straightforward. The universe should be teeming with life. And given the incredible amount of solar systems, much, much older than our own, many of these life forms would have billions more years to evolve far beyond humanity's wildest dreams. But if this is the case, if the universe is so incomprehensibly vast and so richly populated with intelligent life, one fundamental question remains. Where is everybody? Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial on the ParCast Network. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world and discuss how much validity there is to these stories. I'm Bill. And I'm Tim. Today, we're discussing the Fermi Paradox, the scientific formulaic paradox that asks the question, where are all the aliens? At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. 
And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Enrico Fermi made a career studying things we cannot see. His world was the world of particles, the atomic makeup of the world. In particular, he took these tiny particles and smashed them together to see what happened. He was so good at smashing particles together that it earned him the Nobel Prize in 1938 at only 37 years old. Needless to say, Fermi was brilliant. He was one of the 20th century's most influential scientists, and his work continues to have a profound effect on many facets of physics. But on one particular day in 1950, a 49-year-old Fermi was having lunch with his physicist buddies at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico when he started pondering the nature of life in the wider universe. In the 1950s, there was a huge spike in reported UFO sightings. With the Cold War in full swing and an abundance of unidentified military spycraft dotting the night sky, many civilians started to wonder if some of these might be extraterrestrial in origin. But an observational scientist like Enrico Fermi needed something more substantial than lights in the sky. Fermi bemoaned the fact that there had not been any concrete evidence pointing to alien life. And yet, he lamented, Given the size of the galaxy, there was a good chance that other planets in the Milky Way could support life. Fermi was famous for his ability to quickly estimate answers to tough-to-conceptualize questions in his head using speculative data. And so, as he proposed this question of extraterrestrial life to his colleagues, that's exactly what he did. He started by outlining six simple statements that showed this was not merely amusing rhetorical question, but rather an incredibly complicated and baffling paradox. Statement number one. The Milky Way is filled with hundreds of billions of stars, and billions of those stars are similar to the sun, which supports life on Earth. Number two. It is highly likely that some of these stars will have planets similar to Earth. That is to say, planets with similar molecular components that are a similar distance from their star as Earth is to the Sun and that use their star's energy to create life the same way that Earth does. Number three, we can assume, thanks to the Copernican principle, that Earth is not particularly special. Just a quick aside, the Copernican principle states that the Earth is not the center of the universe, and that, as inhabitants of Earth, we don't necessarily occupy a special place in the universe. This was revolutionary when Copernicus first stated it in the 16th century. Up to that point, it had been widely believed that everything in the solar system revolves around the Earth, instead of the Earth and other planets revolving around the Sun. Which brings us back to the third part of Fermi's argument. He said that since we know, thanks to Copernicus, that the Earth is not particularly special, then intelligent life should exist on at least some of the other Earth-like planets out there. Number four, some of the intelligent species out there might develop advanced technology, including the technology necessary to travel through space. 
After all, if humans on Earth can build space technology, then other intelligent species should be able to as well. Number five, in the current capacity of human technology, interstellar travel would theoretically take millennia to traverse the 100,000 light years across our Milky Way. However, given enough time, this would not be an insurmountable problem. Since many sun-like stars have been around billions of years longer than our sun has, there have been billions of years for other species to develop and perfect the technology for space travel far beyond our own capabilities. And finally, number six, given all these factors, why haven't we met any aliens yet or seen evidence of them in our observations of the universe? Where is everybody? The questions and estimations Enrico Fermi formed at that lunch were both impressive and fascinating. But, unfortunately for us, the physicist did not explore it any further. Fermi died in 1954, and he would never witness how much of an effect this simple lunch conversation would have on the world. The other physicists present that day, Edward Teller, Emil Konopinski, and Herbert York, eventually spoke about the luncheon to the public, and Fermi's musings soon became known as the Fermi Paradox. So intriguing was this paradox that it continues to baffle scientists and extraterrestrial enthusiasts nearly 70 years later. But in the 1950s, when the paradox was first presented, humanity was relatively limited in our capability of fully analyzing this problem. Space exploration was merely a budding science, and our observations of the universe were limited to Earth-bound telescopes. However, we don't need space exploration to consider that there are three basic conclusions that could answer the Fermi paradox. First, we are the only form of advanced sentient life in the universe. Second, extraterrestrial life exists, but has not visited us for some reason. And third, extraterrestrial life has visited us, but we have not yet found definitive proof of this occurring. In order to take on the conundrum of the Fermi paradox, we will look at each of these possibilities in turn. Throughout the years, many have maintained that we are alone in the universe, though one man came to this conclusion through more scientific means. In 1975, physicist Michael Hart published a paper on the Fermi paradox called An Explanation for the Absence of Extraterrestrials on Earth. In the abstract to his paper, Hart said, quote, We observe that no intelligent beings from outer space are now present on Earth. It is suggested that this fact can be best explained by the hypothesis that there are no other advanced civilizations in our galaxy, end quote. However, he also noted that one couldn't form a definitive answer until further research in biochemistry, planetary formation, and atmospheres was completed. Hart began his argument by taking a more in-depth look at the probability of alien life in the galaxy using a calculation known as the Drake Equation. Back in 1961, astronomer Frank Drake put together an equation to calculate the number of intelligent species in the universe. The Drake Equation is usually written as n equals r times fp times ne times FL times FI times FC times L. N, the number we're solving for, is equal to the number of civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy who would be advanced enough to emit electromagnetic radiation. 
if we could detect such emissions, this would be a strong indication that they originated from a sentient species, fairly far along the evolutionary track. On the other side of the equation, there are a number of variables, including the number of stars, like our sun, that are capable of supporting life. The fraction of those stars with planetary systems, the number of planets per solar system with an environment suitable for life, and the fraction of planets with intelligent life. Basically, the Drake equation has a lot of factors, which is further complicated by the fact that astronomers don't have definite numbers for any one of those variables. So even though the Drake equation was built to help us figure out the probability of extraterrestrial life, it's still rendered insufficient since many of the data points can only be guessed at. However, Hart used the estimates at his disposal for this equation and determined that the probability of extraterrestrial life in our galaxy was extremely high. Given this high probability, Hart presented four arguments for how intelligent life outside of Earth could possibly exist without our knowledge. His first argument is that aliens couldn't and or can't reach Earth because of some sort of physical difficulty that makes space travel infeasible. His second argument is that aliens simply never chose to come to Earth. His third argument is that advanced civilizations arose too recently for aliens to have reached us. A species would need to evolve from single-celled organisms to an intelligent race capable of space travel. And as far as we know, that process takes billions of years. So perhaps the aliens who are trying to reach us are still on their way or just haven't evolved enough yet to build technology to get to us. The fourth argument is that possibly aliens already visited Earth in the distant past before humans even existed. Despite these possibilities, Hart himself was still skeptical of the existence of alien life. He thought that the extremely high probability suggested there was no way another form of life would not have advanced enough to colonize the universe. In his 1975 paper, he plainly put it, quote, they are not here, therefore they do not exist, end quote. For Hart, the matter of extraterrestrial life was settled, all tied up with a nice, neat bow on top. But Hart's arguments only sparked a flame to ignite the search for aliens within the astronomical community. Coming up, we'll look at how Hart's paper and the Fermi Paradox continued to confound scientists in the late 20th century. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The Fermi Paradox was a thought experiment first posed by Nobel Prize-winning physicist Enrico Fermi in 1950. The paradox questions why we have not yet encountered intelligent extraterrestrial life, even though the incredible scale of the universe suggests that there is a high probability of it existing. Physicist Michael Hart looked at that paradox and in 1975 published a paper attempting to answer it. His paper, 
called An Explanation for the Absence of Extraterrestrials on Earth, argued that because we haven't seen alien life, it must not exist. Hart's paper stoked a flame within the scientific community, as fellow scientists also sought to find their own answers to the Fermi paradox. One of those scientists was physicist Frank Tipler. In 1980, Frank Tipler extended Hart's argument by focusing on one key and rational aspect of space travel, getting the resources to do so. Tipler asked, even if a civilization were advanced enough to travel through space and colonize a galaxy, where would they get enough physical supplies to do it? In his paper, Tipler suggested that a civilization would need some sort of technology that would efficiently replicate the tools necessary for space colonization. He suggested a self-replicating universal constructor with intelligence comparable to the human level. By this logic, a civilization would send one of these constructors to a neighboring star, have the constructor build copies of itself using materials from that solar system, and then send those copies to the other stars. That way, the constructor could continue to build civilizations across a galaxy. Tipler argued that since we don't have such devices on Earth, and we still have yet to see extraterrestrial life, it proved that such universal constructors and the aliens that would build them do not exist. If we are to take Hart and Tipler at their word that humanity is the only advanced life form in the universe, then the question becomes, why? What is it that makes us unique? One answer to this question is found in the notion of the Great Filter. The Great Filter, named as such by Robin Hansen, an associate professor of economics, is a theory that argues that at some point during a species evolution, it will hit a wall. This wall is the point at which it's extremely difficult or impossible for life to continue, such as some sort of inevitable apocalypse. That point is known as the Great Filter. The Great Filter could manifest in many different ways, whether it be resource scarcity, a natural limit to technological advancement, or a catastrophic astronomic event. If we assume the Great Filter hypothesis as a solution to the Fermi paradox, there are two possibilities for humanity's place in the cosmos. The first is that we have already crossed the threshold of the Great Filter. We defied the odds that less evolved species before us were unable to overcome, and we will hopefully continue to evolve into an even more advanced civilization. Perhaps the universe was more hostile in the past, but over time, conditions became more conducive to life. The universe passed the Great Filter, and thus humans were able to evolve. By this logic, we might be one of the few intelligent civilizations, if not the only one in the universe. If we are unique as an intelligent civilization, it could be attributed to what is known as the Rare Earth Hypothesis. This suggests that even though there may be many Earth-like planets in the universe, the specific conditions of Earth, such as our moon or the molecular components of the planet, make it specifically suitable for life in a way that very few planets are. If this is true, it would be a lonely reality. But it would also provide hope that humanity could evolve enough to become the first civilization to explore the galaxy. 
Unfortunately, the other possibility for humanity in the context of the Great Filter Hypothesis is bleaker, much bleaker. This alternative explanation says that the Great Filter is ahead of us. It suggests that there are certain filters that exist all across the universe, and at various points, different civilizations are filtered out. That is to say, they go extinct because they can't make it past some sort of obstacle. The universe is a fundamentally hostile place, and because of this, according to this theory, civilizations are not given enough time to evolve fast enough to avoid this great filter. This could manifest as some kind of naturally occurring cataclysmic event, like gamma ray bursts. Or it might be something that the civilization itself creates, like a nuclear apocalypse. By this logic, it would be an inevitability that nearly all intelligent civilizations wind up destroying themselves after they reach a certain level of technological advancement. So we're not able to make contact with any other civilizations because they're either too unevolved to have the technology to reach us, or they've been wiped out by their own great filters once they reach a certain point of technological advancement. Oxford University philosopher Nick Bostrom is of the belief that no news is good news when it comes to finding other life in the universe. He points out that the discovery of simple life on Mars would be bad news for us because it would mean that the potential for the great filter being behind us is decreased. If another simple life form is able to form in our galaxy, then we didn't already make it past something that other species couldn't survive. And Bostrom points out that if we were to find fossilized complex life on Mars, that would be beyond devastating. That would mean the Great Filter is almost definitely ahead of us. Whatever killed off this imagined complex species would most likely kill off humans at some point in the future. Bostrom believes that the solitude of humanity being the only intelligent life is actually a good thing because it means we're safe. In his words, the silence of the night sky is golden. Michael Hart and Frank Tipler's arguments in 1975 and 1980 opened the possibility that we are, in fact, alone in the universe. The reason we have yet to find incontrovertible proof about extraterrestrial life is because there is none. The universe is a vast and complex place, but perhaps for one reason or another, life, and in particular sentient life, is an incredibly rare phenomenon. But there are many scientists of another opinion. Their thinking is, yes, there is no physical evidence of aliens, but there is also still no physical evidence that there aren't aliens either. Which brings us to the second solution to the Fermi paradox. Extraterrestrial life does, in fact, exist in the universe, but for one reason or another, we have not observed it. Scientists Carl Sagan and William Newman argued against Hart and Tipler in a 1983 paper titled The Solipsist Approach to Extraterrestrial Intelligence. In their paper, Sagan and Newman used mathematical models similar to the ones population biologists use to estimate animal populations. With those calculations, they concluded that the rates of a civilization's expansion in the universe that Hart had estimated are very unrealistic. 
Hart didn't take into account the many factors that could affect population growth. For example, Hart didn't consider the possibility that other civilizations might have a finite lifespan or that a civilization might control population growth rates to maintain their ecology. This essentially means that a civilization might reach a type of equilibrium with their home planet based on its resources and therefore would not need to venture out into the cosmos. Sagan and Newman asserted that a model of any given civilization would be vastly complicated and dependent on an umpteen amount of variables. Therefore, we cannot make assumptions based solely on the population models of humanity. Sagan and Newman went on to argue that just because we can't see alien life doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Aliens just might not behave exactly in a way familiar to us. For example, perhaps another civilization has no interest in life outside their world the same way humans do. Or perhaps advanced civilizations have an unspoken pact to allow life that emerges in the universe to evolve without influence. Whatever the reality, direct contact has yet to be a proven phenomenon. However, the latter half of the 20th century brought a wave of exploration into finding ways to detect extraterrestrial life. Even so, scientists have yet to find definitive proof of signs of life in the cosmos. Perhaps this is simply because our technology is not advanced enough. The radio and infrared signals we send out from Earth only stretch out to about 100 light years away before dissipating, which constitutes about 0.1% of the galaxy. Those signals are how alien life might be able to detect and locate us, the same way that we've attempted to detect alien life by looking for signals in outer space. But since we're only reaching about 0.1% of the Milky Way, the rest of the universe might be completely blind to our existence. We're unable to reach much of the galaxy, and perhaps the same can be said for some distant life forms all the way at the other end of the Milky Way. This line of thinking supports something known as the mediocrity principle, which is kind of everything that is the exact opposite of the rare earth hypothesis. The mediocrity principle states that there is nothing unusual about our intelligence, our planet, our solar system, or our galaxy, until evidence proves otherwise. And so, if we are to believe that there is nothing unusual about us, why wouldn't there be beings similar to us somewhere else in the universe? And if they are out there, what is preventing us from encountering them? There are a few possibilities. Number one, that aliens couldn't and or can't reach Earth because of some sort of physical barrier. Number two, that aliens simply chose and actively choose not to visit Earth. And number three, that intelligent alien species just recently invented the technology to reach us and they're still on their way. If one of these possibilities is the solution to the Fermi paradox, then we must turn our search outward. If alien life isn't coming to us, is there a way that we can find alien life? The answer, anticlimactically, is maybe. In the second half of the 20th century, several efforts to find extraterrestrial life began. 
In the late 1960s and early 1970s, NASA participated in initiatives to search for extraterrestrial efforts with projects including Project Orion, the Microwave Observing Project, and the High Resolution Microwave Survey. All of these projects use different forms of electromagnetic transmissions to try to detect alien life in outer space, but none were conclusive. However, in 1981, Senator William Proxmire used Hart and Tipler's arguments to pull back funding for all of these projects. He said that if physicists argued that there was no extraterrestrial life at all, then what was the point of looking for it? It's a fair argument, but only if you take Michael Hart and Frank Tipler's arguments as gospel. Yet, like much of the work surrounding the Fermi paradox, nothing can be known for sure because so much of it is based on conjecture. Despite the government shutting down their search for aliens, interest in extraterrestrial life did not wane and others took up the mantle. The most prominent example was a private organization called the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, or the SETI Institute, and was founded in 1984 by Thomas Pearson and Jill Tarter in Mountain View, California. According to the Institute, quote, our mission is to explore, understand, and explain the origin and nature of life in the universe and the evolution of intelligence, end quote. The researchers at SETI are fundamentally involved with the problem of the Fermi paradox. They are trying to discover at least a glimpse of extraterrestrial life, thereby altering our understanding of the universe. The SETI Institute utilizes physical and biological sciences, as well as astrophysics, to make discoveries about life both on Earth and beyond in outer space. Private endeavors like this solidified one simple fact. The public, scientists, and non-scientists alike wanted to find aliens, and they were willing to go to great lengths to do so. In 1992, the U.S. government's interest in alien life was sparked again. That year, NASA began a more formal, official, intensive search for extraterrestrial intelligence, their very own SETI program. But less than one year later, this program was shuttered after a campaign against it led by Senator Richard Bryan. Even so, the SETI Institute blazes on. They continue to use state-of-the-art technology to scan the night sky, looking for any sort of irregularity that might point to some sort of alien life. In being thorough in their breadth of exploration, the SETI Institute may just have found the first signs of extraterrestrial intelligence. And with that discovery, we may not only have a possible answer to the Fermi paradox, but a much larger understanding of our place in the cosmos. Coming up, we'll look into the discoveries of the SETI Institute. Now back to the story. After more than 50 years of examining the Fermi paradox, it seems we are getting tantalizingly closer to finding some small signs that point to the possibility of life somewhere else in the universe. As it seems as though alien life must exist, but has not revealed itself, we must uncover ways to look for alien life. Right now, the SETI Institute is using the Allen Telescope Array in the Cascade Mountains in California to complete a two-year survey of tens of thousands of red dwarf stars. 
nearly every single red dwarf star has a planet located in its habitable zone, and this high frequency of planets that might support life make red dwarfs an excellent place to begin the search for extraterrestrial life. Once the SETI Institute finds planets in the habitable zone, the researchers then use the Allen Telescope Array to examine the planets and hopefully discover any further details about them. The SETI Institute is also developing new methods for optical detection of extraterrestrial intelligence. Previous programs were limited to examining a single pixel of the sky at any given time. But the new optical programs can monitor the entire night sky simultaneously. This means that it might now be possible to pick up intermittent signals that otherwise would have been completely missed. Though these observations have yet to yield concrete evidence of extraterrestrial signals, there have been pieces of intriguing evidence obtained by simply observing the sky. In 2015, physicist Roger Griffith led a team at Penn State University to compile a catalog of 93 galaxies where unusually extreme mid-infrared emissions have been seen. Because an advanced civilization would be using advanced technologies, some scientists postulate that using such advanced technologies would leave behind a trail. This trail would be from the output of heat from these machines, similar to a car's exhaust. This trail would come in the form of mid-infrared emissions. Thus, the detection of mid-infrared emissions by Roger Griffith's team appeared to be solid evidence of civilization in those galaxies. It was good evidence until it was refuted by another physicist. Later on in 2015, Michael Garrett of the Netherlands Institute for Radio Astronomy and Leiden Observatory studied radio measurements of some of the strongest intelligent civilization candidate galaxies. But while infrared emissions could be an indicator of advanced forms of life, they can also signal smaller, less significant objects, mainly dust. Garrett found that the vast majority of these galaxies have emissions that are best explained by natural astrophysical processes related to thermal emission from dust, not by advanced technology. Garrett said, the presence of radio emission at the levels expected from the correlation suggests that the mid-infrared emission is not heat from alien factories, but more likely emission from dust. For example, dust generated and heated by regions of massive star formations. Just when we thought that there were some small signs of extraterrestrial life, Garrett shot those ideas down. It's a disappointing revelation for anyone hoping to prove the existence of alien life. However, Garrett also looked at the bright side of his discovery. He said, in my view, it means we can all sleep safely in our beds tonight and an alien invasion doesn't seem at all likely. However, Garrett himself is a self-proclaimed skeptic when it comes to the problems of the Fermi paradox. In his own words, Garrett said, quote, we're missing an important part of the jigsaw puzzle here. Perhaps advanced civilizations are so energy efficient that they produce very low waste heat emission products. Our current understanding of physics makes that a difficult thing to do. So, by this explanation, there might be intelligent alien life out there in the universe. We just don't yet have the tools to detect it. 
It would be as if we're listening for some sounds, when really, we need to be watching for some sort of visual cue. Thus, the quest to refine the methods in which we attempt to detect extraterrestrial life continues. However, a shocking recent discovery suggests that perhaps aliens will in fact come to us before we find traces of them in the distant galaxy. In 2017, NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope spotted an incredibly strange object moving through our solar system that was soon named Oumuamua. The name comes from the Hawaiian word for scout, since this object seems like it might be a scout from another sentient species. Oumuamua is the first known object from another solar system to visit our own, and its features are somewhat baffling. While its shape and composition seem to hint at its being a comet, it is missing a coma, which is one of the most defining characteristics of a comet. Because comets are made up of ice, when it approaches a star like the sun, a portion of that ice melts, leaving a trail or coma. Oumuamua very noticeably does not have such a trail, and that makes tracking and studying it particularly difficult. Immediately, scientists began working to try to discern the origins of Oumuamua. Because it could not be characterized as a comet, and its shape and acceleration suggest that it also is not an asteroid, classification of the object has been incredibly complicated. Thus, the natural question became, was Oumuamua artificial in origin? When Oumuamua was about 170 million miles away from Earth, scientists at the SETI Institute used the Alien Telescope Array to observe it. If they found artificial radio transmissions coming off of Oumuamua, that would be strong evidence that the object was built by intelligent life. Jerry Harp is the lead author of a paper on Oumuamua to be published later in 2019. He said, quote, we were looking for a signal that would prove that this object incorporates some technology, that it was of artificial origin, end quote. Unfortunately, the search was not successful. If Oumuamua is emitting any sort of transmission, our current technology is incapable of detecting it. Harp went on to say, quote, We didn't find any such emissions, despite a quite sensitive search. While our observations don't conclusively rule out a non-natural origin for Oumuamua, they constitute important data in assessing its likely makeup. Additionally, researchers at Harvard University recently published a paper in the Astrophysical Journal Letters in which they suggested that Oumuamua might be a piece of a larger structure, such as a ship. The Harvard researchers' hypothesis is that the object might be a solar sail or a type of craft propelled by solar radiation from a foreign spaceship that was sent our way. They also noted that our solar system is a very small target for an object that is not directly being aimed at it, so that the chances of an object randomly entering the solar system are pretty low. This suggests that it may have been deliberately sent here. The chairman of Harvard University's astronomy department, Professor Abraham Loeb, has vehemently defended his position that Oumuamua is an artificially built object. Professor Loeb said, quote, if you're not ready to find exceptional things, you won't discover them. 
Of course, every argument needs to be based on evidence, but if the evidence points to an anomaly, we need to talk about an anomaly." End quote. He continued to say, quote, "...imagine if cavemen had been shown the smartphone. What would they have thought about this special rock? Now imagine that Oumuamua is the iPhone and we are the cavemen. Imagine scientists who are considered visionaries of reason among the cavemen looking at the device and saying, no, it's just a rock. A special rock, but a rock. Where do you come off claiming it's not a rock?" End quote. The origins of Oumuamua continue to remain a mystery, but such a momentous event as an extrasolar visit is enough to ignite discussion with the scientific community. Unfortunately, it returns us to square one. Despite fines like Oumuamua and the extensive efforts by the SETI Institute, there still is no concrete proof of the existence of extraterrestrial life. But perhaps there is a third solution to the Fermi paradox, one that would be incredibly difficult to prove. Perhaps aliens do exist and have come to visit us, but their technology is so advanced that we have not noticed. Theoretical physicist Michio Kaku described this argument like this. He said, quote, Let's say we have an anthill in the middle of the forest, and right next to the anthill, they're building a 10-lane superhighway. And the question is, would the ants be able to understand what a 10-lane superhighway is? Would the ants be able to understand the technology and the intentions of the beings building the highway next to them? So, by this logic, we are the ants who are entirely unable to comprehend the larger, more advanced life forms operating all around us. One more argument is that the galaxy has already been colonized, but Earth is located out in the boondocks of the Milky Way, so no one has reached us yet. It would be as if we're in a remote rural area, while the rest of the galaxy is interacting in some more central metropolis. In that case, we're just waiting for the first word of some advanced technology, like a small town before it received its first phone line or Wi-Fi router. The hypothetical explanations for the Fermi paradox get more and more speculative, but here's where the lines between science and science fiction blur. When something is as unknown and unknowable as the existence of extraterrestrial life, it inevitably becomes loaded with conjecture. And while that conjecture is supported by some facts, much of it is invented to try to explain the mysteries of the universe. This is why when we look up at the night sky, so many of us see stories waiting to be told and worlds waiting to be explored. The vast sky is filled with the possibility of the unknown. Perhaps there are beings with the powers of gods conquering worlds up in outer space. Or perhaps we are truly alone in the universe. But in that case, our solitude might be a call to action to journey out beyond Earth and beyond our solar system. If we are the only living things in the universe, then if Earth were to be destroyed, there would be no life left at all. And in that case, it would be our responsibility to continue to keep life in the universe by bringing it to planets all around the galaxy. 
Answers to these questions may arrive tomorrow, and they may arrive long after humanity has drifted to dust. As great and infinite as the universe is, it will continue to reveal surprises about our place in the cosmos. But for now, we just don't know. Thanks for listening to our episode on the Fermi Paradox. You can listen to Extraterrestrial and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, don't forget to keep your eyes on the sky. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. Extraterrestrial is written by Sarah Halley-Corey and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson.